What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 276 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Saturday evening, a day earlier than usual, but unfortunately, the Atlanta professional basketball team has a game on Sunday night, and Scott loves them. I'm joined now by Scott, <laughs> by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. That's right. The reason we are doing this on Saturday night is because of my uh, commitments to the Atlanta Hawks basketball organization. Um, no, but it's good to be on, Brad. Hope you're doing okay. And uh, for the first time in, in four months, we have some real life baseball players working out. And even if it is the opening days of spring, we are just kind of hoping everyone is healthy and shaking the rust off. Okay. It was good to have the guys out there, pitchers and catchers reporting and uh, spring training really gets going here pretty soon. We're about a week away from games at this point. Yeah, players are arriving. Uh, some of them are already there. Others to come in the near future. The Braves play a game. Uh, I almost said that counts. It, it does not count, but it's a game that will be uh, scored a week from tomorrow, a week from Sunday, I should say. Uh, the 28th is their opener as we record this on Saturday night on the 20th. So, yeah, it's all coming. Uh, last week's podcast was me and Eric kind of looking ahead a little bit to spring. And today we will start officially with our uh, our breakdown series. If you're a new listener to the podcast within the last year, we always do sort of an extensive preview series, four, five, six parts coming into the season. This is part one of that, basically talking about the bench, which will be the second half of this podcast, or probably even more than the second half of this podcast. Um, so we'll get into that, and the bench is certainly a topic right now. But uh, some news-ish stuff to touch on at the top, a lot of it coming from Bryant Snicker. Um, Mike Soroka was a topic of conversation this week. We'll start there, I guess. Um, he kind of sicker kind of kind of deflected on Soroka, as did Mike himself about timelines. That's not a surprise whatsoever. Um, but basically, no one's going to commit to him starting in the uh, first week of the season. Nor are they going to say that he's definitely not starting in the, week, in the first week of the season. So we'll get into the rotation later on. But did you have any thoughts one, with regard to that lead in? I know Eric and I discussed it last week, but uh, a little bit of you know pseudo news. I think it's kind of what you expect, right? We're, we're six full weeks away from opening day at this point, and everyone knows how critically important Mike Soroka is in the immediate and in the future for this team. Um, so it makes every sense in the world to take every precaution with him and his uh, Achilles recovery. It does seem like he's made a strong recovery. I know he's thrown some bullpens uh, in the last couple of weeks, which is encouraging. Of course, the the real test will be outside of a live game situation where he's going to be landing on that foot a hundred times is having to run, having to cover first base, having to potentially lay down a bunt. If the DH doesn't end up happening, all of that. So no, no major takeaway. It was good to know that, that Mike is out there, but I would imagine with, with opening day still six weeks away, the Braves will take every precaution precaution uh, possible with Mike. And maybe he is ready to go opening day if they really feel he's a hundred percent, but Ultimately, if he misses a week or two, especially with the early off days, they can certainly survive. If it's going to help help everyone sleep a little better at night, it's it's probably worth doing. For sure, and there should be no rush for what for the reasons that you said. You know, he's obviously a top priority for the team long term. They do have a little bit of depth, which is a nice refreshing change. <laughs> Knock on wood, I guess. But huh. they do have a little bit of depth we, right now. We know what, yeah, right. We know what happened last year. But let's God, let's hope we don't lose five starting pitchers in the next month. Yeah, I mean, they got they got Kyle Wright, they got Bryce Wilson, they got some they got some arms. If they need to have a couple starts filled in there, that's that's not going to be a problem whatsoever. Um, also, Soroka kind of hilariously said that he's excited to hit, which we, which made me laugh. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure he is, but man, uh, I'm not excited to watch that. Sorry, Mike. I am not either. I'm going to close my eyes and say a prayer every single time Mike touches a baseball bat next year. Uh, just honestly, 
early in the year, I would not object to Mike Soroka just staying in the box and <laughs> never running, just literally walking if he needs yep. to, and that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> regardless, though, uh, the Braves are okay there, I think, and obviously. We'll see what they do overall in terms of the rotation. You know, Snicker basically turned down any notion of a six-man rotation. Not a surprise. Like, that that's not a Snicker thing to do, I don't think. But he did say that they're going to skip guys every once in a while if they need to. Sort of that Max-free treatment. Max has been skipped sometimes uh, in, the, in the last year or two. And he seems to be better when he's not uh, pitching every every fifth day for months on, months on end. So... I think being flexible is the order of the day. That's my that's my thought on the rotation, which we'll obviously get into later on. But that's my thought. It's just like, don't panic. Use your depth. Uh, you have some older guys now, like Charlie Morton is not a spring chicken. He should be easing into things as well. well I mean, I would just say keep your guard up on the rotation, but we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, again, I mean, we just don't know, right? Last year, I would like to think last year was just an extreme case of pitcher injuries and underperformance. But like you said, they have... You know, if you include Soroka, they have five starters they feel really good about. We all saw flashes last summer with Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson, especially in the playoffs. Um, We've seen flashes from those guys and they've been around a bit. So, yes, absolutely. Use them to your advantage. It's going to be a weird year, right? It's the first time that these guys are playing a full season, of course, after missing the last uh, first three months, I guess, of last year. So, yeah, be careful with the guys. Give them an extra day here and there and. So it's a marathon, not a sprint, as we all know. So if you can utilize some of that depth early on, by all means, do it. It is a marathon, not a sprint, Scott, as you well say there. Um, other things that Snit said this week, he is non-committal at closer. Again, not a surprise whatsoever. And I think our next preview after today might be the, the, the bullpen. Um he said he's going to probably use two or three guys maybe, maybe to close at times. He also said, though, when he was asked about Will Smith in particular, that he has, quote, all the confidence in the world, end quote. Will Smith could close if they need him to do that. A very Brian Sticker answer. Um, huh. We yeah. talked about this last week with Eric and I about just kind of how they might be an arm short. And Mark Melanson signing for pennies was an, a, not well-received necessarily by Braves Twitter. But I will point out, Trevor Rosenthal signed for $11 million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that was a lot of money. So uh, I'm not sure if Mel- – I mean, I, it got reported that Melanson took less. But man, uh, either, either the Braves don't think much of Melanson right now, which is possible, or he just wanted to go to San Diego, I think. Yeah, he, he is a West Coast guy. He spent most of his big league career out there, and he's from, I think, Colorado, played his college ball at Arizona. So yeah, that might have been a case where, hey, it's going to be a really good team. I think, you know, to begin the year, at least all the all the odds makers would tell you it's the second best team in the league, at least on paper. So yeah, if he wants to go pitch, he's made a lot of money in his career. I didn't realize Mark Melanson's made like $80 million in his what? big league career. His deal, his deal just now that he was wrapping up was like a $60 million deal. Something yeah. like it was a lot of money. Yeah. So, I mean, Hey, if you, Brad, if, if you or I had $80 million in the bank and you said, Hey, you want to go pitch in San Diego for $3 million for a year on maybe a world series team. It, it's not hard to see why he might've picked that offer over, over others. But yeah, I mean, sure. Would I have taken Melanson back? Yes. He seemed like, even if you, you had to worry a little bit, maybe he wouldn't be quite in that closer role for it. But, um, but yeah, Hey, if, if he wants to go out there, if, if he did take a different offer, who knows that the Braves actually made an offer. I don't know if we ever heard that or not, but no. Um, yeah, the, the Rosenthal one was, I mean, it wasn't even a pipe dream. I think he really would have helped the bullpen significantly the way he bounced back last year. Um, $11 million for one year is a healthy payday for him during the first week of, of spring training. And um, honestly, I, I guess I wasn't, 
it wasn't like you signed for five million and it's like what the hell like you yeah. guys couldn't beat five million dollars i mean 11 million is a decent ch- right. you know <laughs> chunk of change at this point yeah yeah so uh, yeah i was with you I, he was the, he was obviously the number one once balanson was gone other than Shane Green, who's obviously a natural fit to potentially bring back as someone who's already on the team previously, Rosenthal was like the was like the big name, the biggest name I should say that they could potentially go after. If, if he like like you said, if he had signed for five million, I I would have been uh, not upset about it, but would have been like, all right, maybe they really should have done that. Eleven million dollars, and just for the record, eleven million for him is not outrageous. Like that's a reasonable m- money. It's just it's just kind of when it happened, like. Spring training is coming together, and he signed for that. Still, that was the surprising part. If he had signed for yeah. one year and eleven million in like December, it would have been like, okay, that's fine, whatever. Yeah. Um. By the way, that's the same deal that Drew Smiley signed for. Um. <laughs> and to that's that right. end, by the way, I think you, I think I saw you make this point. Even somebody somebody did that I trust. Um. How about Taiwan Walker getting two for twenty, uh, without yeah. having pitched in like two years, basically? And Drew Smiley's yeah. deal looks a lot better now. I would say, <laughs> just for the record. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The Mets. They've had an interesting offseason. I think they're certainly improved, and getting Lindor is a huge, huge deal, especially if they can extend him out. But, yeah, they've they've spent some money, but it's not necessarily money that I would have spent or I would have spent the money differently. But uh, we, we will see uh, see how it goes. I'm going to get, uh, I would say, pilloried if Drew Smiley is bad. But because we were actually, at least I was, fairly high on that. I didn't, like, absolutely love it, but I was totally fine with it, whereas a lot of Braves fans are still upset. Like, I still see Drew Smiley getting slander on, on a daily basis on Twitter, which mm. makes me laugh. I mean, I, I get why. It's it's kind of a lot of money, but I, I was okay with it. So hopefully that will be one of those times when we're occasionally right. We're usually wrong, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Real quick on, on Drew Smiley, there's a great article on the site. Probably came out on Wednesday or Thursday of this yep. past week from Ivan on Drew Smiley. I learned a ton. It's really, really good. Basically, the short of it is nobody knows who Drew Smiley is, but when (laughs) he was pitching last September, he was like as dominant as anybody. Like his his underlying metrics were up there with like the Shane Bieber and Jacob deGroms of the world. But he's only been that guy for like six starts in his his entire career. So who knows? That's a fast. I mean, honestly, I think that's probably the most interested, the player I'm most interested in seeing in 2021 is if... I mean, either the Braves just discovered this this superstar in the making, or I guess the Braves and Giants did, or we're going to look back and go, what on earth were they buying in for? Five starts and they gave them $11 million? Come on. But we'll Yeah, see. it's that's kind of the – and by the way, that, that piece is awesome, and I read it as well. Um, that piece is basically a very, very well done uh, assessment of what we kind of guessed back at the time when they signed him. It was like, okay, they're obviously paying for what they saw at the end of last season. And yeah. maybe, I guess they buy it. Um, whether, whether they should or not is a different situation, but I would certainly recommend reading that. And by the way, there is a full-blown season preview happening on the site that is uh, very good and very detailed, and it's going all this week and next week, and it, there's lots of content. So click on all of it, read all of it, and uh, they're probably smarter than we are. Uh, although although <laughs> I'm sure you wrote some of it, and I have not written anything, but there you go. Um, other things, quickly, before we get to the bench preview. Dansby lost his arbitration case, which cost him like a half million or so, I guess maybe 0.7 million. Um, not a huge surprise whenever anybody loses their arbitration case, but he will make $6 million instead of what, 6.7, something like that. So uh, no huge impact there, but a little bit extra money maybe for the Braves to spend. I have no idea if you want to be charitable, but uh, yeah, maybe they'll, maybe they'll, they'll reward us and spend that extra 700 K in on July at the trade deadline. Yeah. yeah. Something or, uh, or the next couple of weeks. Who knows? Maybe it'll get wild give out a $2 million deal to a reliever. Yeah. I mean, they, 
I feel, I, like, I I feel like we do, we, do, we do this every week, but I'll, I'll just say it again because we I guess we, it's probably occasional to do that. Uh, the Braves are I feel like they have to do something else, and we we will say that again about the bench in a moment. But they do have some money it seems like to play with here, and this I I just can't see this being the roster that they open up with. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Uh, we'll see. I would imagine they will add somebody. It may not be a big, but like you know Matt Joyce for as good as he was in. 2019 he was signed like four days before the season began he got cut by someone or he requested a release from someone and and the Braves added him and he went on to be a really good out he was the third best outfielder on the team that year so I'm I'm not saying they're going to luck into a similar situation but there's always roster turnover turnover in the month of March I would imagine that we will see some kind of movement it may not be a splash I mean there's really not much out there to be a splash at this point I know I still see people tweeting about like Jose Ramirez or Matt Chapman I, I just I would be stunned. I mean, I will happily do that podcast if it happens, but I, I just don't think it's happening at this point in the year. And um, I, but I'm with you. I think they will add somebody, but it may be again more of the depth bullpen and bench variety than a you know. I I, I have a hard time seeing them adding a, a good player at this point. Also, we have seen the same front office roll money into the regular season and use it later. Um, I'm not saying that's the foolproof plan. In fact, I hated that when they did it, but uh, they could. They could try that strategy again, or at least uh, sort of head nod toward that strategy. Um, I will say that every game is going to matter when the NL East is better than it's been on paper anyway, but uh, I wouldn't love that. But maybe that's what they'll do with the money if they need to in the future. I guess last thing quickly is uh, the spring training roster is officially out. It has 25 non-roster invitees, most of which are inconsequential. But there were three prospects that drew some heads being on there. One of them was Drew Waters. No surprise there. He's probably the closest to the majors of all the top guys. Uh, Shay Langeliers is on the list, and Brayton Shoemake. And I want to just mention Brayton Shoemake. Obviously, you and I are not the prospect guys on this podcast, but Zips over at Fangraphs, um, Dan Zaborski had their prospect list come out. He's uh, and Shoemake was in the top twenty-five in baseball, and that hmm. like stunned people. And I know some of our guys, some of our guys like like Brayton Shoemake a lot. I don't know that much about him, obviously, because he's that's not a thing that I do. But that was seemingly surprising, and I guess people are high on him in a way that I did not see. All I know is he's really well regarded as a as a college player, a polished player as well. And it I don't want to say he's a safe player because no prospect is safe for the most part, but I think he has a lot of tools that you like to see. I think he has the potential to be a 280, 300 hitter in the big leagues. Slow and steady. He's not going to hit 30 homers. He's not going to necessarily steal 40 bases. But he does a lot of things you like. He's a solid. He, he can probably stick at shortstop as well, which, as we know, it's so important. If if you can just hit a little bit at shortstop, you're you're pretty good and, and locked in. So, yeah, Shoemake's gotten a lot of love. Keith Law has been on him for about two years, so yep. he's getting that. Uh, the other – it was a funny note. I think there was an article on Fangraphs. Uh, apparently, the Braves took Braden Shoemake one pick before the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Rays – scout who was all over shoemake texted him and said you were going to be our next pick if atlanta didn't take you so anytime you get a player the rays really coveted i feel like you're probably doing something right so hopefully uh hopefully it works out for Braden. yeah the rays are pretty good usually so uh, i will take some solace in that but uh, <laughs> that was the only news really of the week other than jason kipnis signing and we'll talk about jason kipnis momentarily in our bench preview in fact scott after a break from our sponsors we'll come back and talk all about the very very intriguing bench options so hold on tight all right, Scott, uh, the bench is a problem. 
<laughs> that's the headline of this podcast, potentially. The bench is a problem. Yeah. Eric and I did sort of nod to that last week on the podcast. It's been a talking point throughout, um, but it's, it's I think it's also the natural starting point for this uh, preview series because it is probably the worst part of the team at the moment and also the least consequential, they hope. So basically what we'll do is kind of just go through all the options that are on the roster right now. It goes without saying that the Braves can still add someone or two people that are not on the roster. In fact, Mark Bowman wrote today, like kind of like left a question mark basically in one of the spots, like basically for addition X, <laughs> he didn't say it that way, but it was essentially like him saying that he didn't think it was going to be either Jack Mayfield or Adrianza making the team. It was going to be like somebody else. So that's an interesting uh, little note from Mark, but regardless. Oh, and also the other guy that I guess we'll just mention now. I never mentioned again on this podcast is uh, someone named Mick Narcakis. I think is his name. Uh, it, rhymes, it rhymes with that. He's still available. So people, uh, people ask <laughs> us about that all the time. And I will honestly, I'm going to say this without any hint of irony. He would be the best hitter of the Braves had on the bench right now. Yep. I'm not saying they should do it, uh, but uh, all I'm saying is if he was actually used correctly, which is the biggest if in the world and the reason why I wouldn't want him signed, Marquecas, at least if he's the same guy he was last year, would be the best hitter the Braves had off the bench right now. So, yeah, wild, but that's where we are. You know, this is I'll say this about the bench. The Braves' bench right now is not good. Like there is there is not much to get excited about. You have some older guys. You know, Jason Kipnis has hasn't really been good in a couple years now again i know he has a strong clubhouse presence and he was actually pretty decent with the cubs last year he was kind of thrown into an everyday role with them at one point because of their injuries um but again there's not a lot of sexiness with this bench i will say this the braves have a very good lineup they have a great starting eight or starting nine however you want to look at it and generally good players don't want to take backup roles So that is all I will say. And while I absolutely agree, I would like to see them bring in somebody. And while we, while the Braves may eventually have to go up against the Dodgers, not everyone can be the Dodgers, right? Like the Dodgers have a $260 million payroll and develop players better than probably anybody in baseball. Um, Most, most teams are not the Dodgers and it's hard to find players like a, let's say a Marwin Gonzalez, for example, the reason he went to Boston is because he has a chance to play pretty regularly. Yep. If, if you're an infielder and you're looking for a, a job, you know, I mean, players aren't dumb. They know who's in what. I mean, you're not going to play at first. You're not going to play at second. You're not going to play at short. You have two guys at third. You're going to get, you know, Austin Riley's going to get every chance to play. And if you're an outfielder, you're obviously not going to play over Ronald Acuna or Marcelo Zuna. And as we just talked about, they have Kristen Pache at top, 10-ish prospect in center field and under in Ciarte who is owed real money and they probably aren't just going to kick to the curb. So while I completely agree and I wish the bench was better than it was right now, I did want to say it, it takes two to tango in these situations and sometimes players don't want to have zero chance of playing. They want to be able to play semi-regularly. And honestly, other than injuries, which you can't predict, it's hard to imagine the bench really being called on a ton, even if they will be needed at some point. Yeah, that's well said. And of course, you are a famous Alex Anthopoulos apologist. You uh, you think he's uh, the sun, moon, and the stars. So it's good. It's good. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, I agree with you. Actually, it's one of those things where it's it's important to make the bench better than it is right now. I will say that right here at the top. This is a bad bench, and they need to fix it. But it is kind of understandable on some level, especially when they're you know sort of tied up by Ender uh, for one. 
but it, it's you know they got to fix it. This is a this is one of those this one of those situations where if they open the season with this bench, it's hard to say with a straight face that you're trying to win the World Series. And you look at teams like the even the Padres, like to put the Dodgers to the side because the Dodgers are ridiculous. Like the Padres are like all in and kind of loaded. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's just hard to like go into the year with. Especially if the Braves enter the season with the bullpen they have right now and the bench they have right now, it's like, man, that's a tough sell. It really is, yeah. especially over a full a, over a full season. Like, I think we've kind of forgotten, and I'm putting myself in this in this category as well. After the short season last year, over 162, you you need your bench and you need your bullpen sure. to be like deeper and better than what they are <laughs> right now. So yeah, uh, yeah. anyway, that's uh, that's the preamble. We'll dive in now to some individual like battles slash who the guys who are almost certainly going to be around if they're on the team. Um, one spot that we know has to happen is backup catcher. Um, there are two candidates. It's Alex Jackson and William Contreras. Uh, Mark Bowman projects Jackson, and I think I've been leaning in that direction as well in terms of just like actual reality. Basically, for those of us who don't know these guys that well, uh, Contreras is seen as having much higher upside but he is two years younger and potentially needs some more seasoning in AAA, whereas Jackson's 25. He has not hit at all, really, in the majors, but he's a, probably a better, at least a safer defender right now as a backup catcher. Um, he does not project to be a good player. In fact, Zips projects him as a 65 WRC plus for this year. That is bad. But backup catcher across the league, as we as I'm, fo- I, I'm fond of saying, is kind of a wasteland, so that would be <laughs> kind of a pretty average backup catcher in a lot of ways. Um, Tyler Flowers is still available, Scott, but he's not uh, on yeah. this team. So what do you think about backup catcher? So, you know, if, if I had to guess six weeks out <clears throat> from opening day, I'm going to guess the Braves. I, I don't know this directly, but I would imagine the Braves have stayed in contact with Tyler Flowers in some capacity. Yes. And do it. they really just I, I think they want to just honestly see how Alex Jackson and William Contreras handle the next couple of weeks, knowing that there is potentially a big league job available. I'm with you. I think I would go with Alex Jackson as the backup, not because I think he's better than Contreras by any means. Honestly, if those guys both had to play 150 games this year, I think I I would take Contreras pretty easily. Agreed. But Travis Darno is going to play far more times than not. And it's, it's the age old question of, would you rather William Contreras play one or two times a week in Atlanta or play five or six times a week in Gwinnett? And I know for me, it's it's a pretty easy answer. I would much rather him play uh, every day in Gwinnett and continue to get regular bats. He only has like 250 career plate appearances above double A. Um, I mean, he only got like a month and a half in, in Mississippi, if memory serves, towards the end of 2019. And then, of course, last year there was no minor league year. So for me, while I, I really think William Contreras is going to be very good and he's probably better than Alex Jackson at this point, if he's only going to play once or twice a week, I would I would certainly lean Jackson and let Contreras develop in the minors. Yeah, that's the that's where I am as well. I think you know, as long as Arno is healthy and rolling, he is going to play. You know, not every day because catchers don't play every day, but he'll play more often than not. And that backup catcher role is just like don't get don't don't get us killed basically is what that role ends up being as long as Darno yeah. is uh, is healthy. If he's not healthy, that's a problem. But I would like to see. I, I, I actually wonder what Eric and the prospect guys think of this. But I think the consensus for me anyway is always I want to see the young hotshot prospects play more in the minors, and I'd like to see mm-hmm. Contreras play more in in Gwinnett. And sure. uh, yeah, I mean honestly, this is I'm kind of trolling at this point but if flowers is available for the minimum or whatever just 
I would just sign him, but that's just me. Um, I'm fine with it. I'm, I'm fine if they don't, for the record. I, it doesn't bother me if they don't yeah. at all. But uh, if, if unless Jackson is like notably pretty good in spring, I, if Flowers is willing, I would just pay him a million dollars to come back if they if that's an option. I know he's yeah. not great. I'm not saying he's great. But again, <laughs> backup, backup catcher is not uh, a position that you need much out of. It just needs to no. be a competent... Uh, you know, receiver, a guy who might run into run, in, run into one every once in a while behind the plate, and uh, just be okay. And Jackson might be able to do that, honestly. Like, sure. it w- I think it's totally fine if Alex Jackson is the backup catcher on opening day. Totally fine. Yeah, me too. And he's he's really improved his uh, framing and work behind the plate. He's okay. To, you know, he's again, he's not going to win a Gold Glove probably, but yeah, as as you said, as long as he's not going to kill you two times a week. You know, say that he especially as, as important as Darno is going to be, if you make the assumption that Darno will never catch a day game, like he's never going to do the back-to-back thing, and then he's going to miss one other game a week just to keep him fresh over six months, I would have a hard time thinking that you and I are going to do a 15-minute segment on this podcast mid-year about how Alex Jackson is just absolutely killing the Braves. I, I, I just don't see that happening. Uh, no. I mean, the only way that happens is if Darno is either really bad or injured, and we hope that doesn't happen, uh, and then it becomes a big thing. But, you know, in, in general, backup catcher is just not going to hurt you that bad. No, even if no. even if Jackson was as bad at the plate as he's been so far in a small sample size, which is tough, I think he's better than that regardless because almost anybody would be, um, sure. he'll be fine. I think that's fine. And by the way, you have Contreras. If Jackson is actually that bad, where yeah. he's, he's hitting 120 in May – you just bring up Contreras and that's what you do. So sure. Or if, if you know, Darno tweaks an ankle and needs a week on the, on the injured list. Sure. I mean, by all means you can, you can call up Contreras. It's not like you're, you're locking him into the minor leagues for the entire year. No. Um, you know, as they say, you're a play away from all of a sudden it's your moment. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I would lean. And again, if, if Tyler flowers does get added over the next month, if, if Jackson's just not working or you know th- there's concern about his ability to potentially play on a semi-regular basis uh and, and catchers do so much off the field too like pre-game prep with the pitchers on how they're going to attack hitters and stuff that's a big big aspect of it um those are all going to be factors but i'm with you if, if they brought back flowers for a million dollars it is really not the end of the world no uh we'll leave that there for now it's probably enough i'm not gonna catch her um okay so from there, it gets more interesting, uh, and not 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 in the greatest way in the world. I think if there is one player that I would wager money on being on the team on opening day, barring injury, it is Johan Camargo, and that is unfortunately and crazy because Camargo was basically off the team at one point, uh, and the fact that he is now pretty much their number one bench option is uh, telling of how bad the bench is. I'll just say because um, he's been a sub replacement player for the last two seasons. Since the start of 2019, he has a slash line of 222, 267, 378, and that's an almost 400 plate appearances. Obviously, he's projected to be better than that by the systems. I think he is better than that, but man, it's been a while since he was good. And he's 27 yeah. years old. So the it's the same thing we, we discussed with him forever, and I know if you're a long-time listener, you will know how we feel about Camargo for the most part. But he does have value as someone who can play everywhere. He's a switch hitter. Those things are very useful. Um, and I think, honestly, with what they have, he needs to be on the team, given what they have, unless he's just completely awful in spring. But he also should not be your number one pinch hitter, and he might be right now, which is, man. Yeah, I guess you can always hold out a little bit of hope that he could become somewhat of the player he was in 2018 when he was so, so good. But even then, I mean, at this point, it's it's almost three years ago. And if you look at even as 
even though he was like a three win player that year. Um, if you look at his underlying things, like his batted ball profile and his hard hit rates, it was a little smoke and mirrors. I mean, again, if it was easy to do it over 150 games, everybody would, but it's not like he has these amazing underlying metrics working in his favor. Um, but I'm with you. I, I have a hard time seeing Camargo not on the roster just because he's been around. They trust him somewhat because he was on the NLCS roster. He, he I think he had a couple of plate appearances even, um, but ultimately, again, it's it's just kind of a reflection of the bench as a whole when Camargo is probably your best bench option at the at this point, and he hasn't really given you productive baseball in more than two calendar years. Yeah, that's that's well said. I mean, he'll be around. I think he has talent still, and they you know they were willing to give him a spot at the end of last season. Um, I just would remind people that they basically cut ties with him for a while. Like he was, he just kind of went away and, uh, he did come back at the end of last season, but, uh, they were kind of ready to move on. It felt like, so the buy-in is there and that he's around on the roster, but, um, we'll see. I hope that he can find something at the plate because there is value in his, uh, versatility still. Um, the other guy, <laughs> the other, the other, obviously more famous guy yes, is Ender Inciarte. So it's time for Ender. Uh, he is owed eight plus million for this year. That is the biggest factor in play here. Um, he obviously was quite good at one point. That is probably gone at this point. He is 30 years old, which isn't that old, but he has definitely declined. Last season, he was like full stop terrible. Uh, he had a slash line of 190, 262, and 250 slugging, which is lower than his, lower than his on base, which is not what you want to see. Uh, relatively small sample size there, um, about 130 plate appearances, but. He, grade all, he actually graded out as, as about an average or maybe even a little bit below average defender, which is, that's his calling card. So if that's the case, then it's really troubling. Um, Zips and Steamer project him to be a well below average hitter, a 77 WRC plus for Zips, 76 for Steamer. Um, even if you include, and I, I'm going to be nice now and include 2019 in this, the last two seasons, he has a WRC plus of 74, which is not terrible for a bench guy if you're going to play really good defense. Um, but he is over $8 million and defense is no longer a lock with Ender. So I say all of that to you, Scott. I think he's going to be on the team at this point because they would have dumped him by now if, they, if, they, if he wasn't going to be on the team. Um, what do you think about Ender at the moment? Because that's a story for sure. Oof. You know what stings is when he got his contract extension a couple years ago, he would have normally been done after last year, but uh, he did get an extra year added on to his contract whenever they, I think it was like between 2016 and 2017 when they extended it out. Anyway, I, I got to laugh at that the other day. But um, yeah, I, I think Oof. because he's owed $8 million and clearly the Braves, well, maybe they're swimming in money, but it remains to be seen if they actually spend it or not. But because he's owed as much money, I would be pretty stunned if they just like kicked him to the curb like that that's a hefty contract just to say see you later um and because you know you are going to need a defensive replacement for marcelo zuna in the late innings pretty much anytime you're winning i i think there's a way that ender probably gets a little bit of action even if it's just standing in left field and hoping you know and just covering ground and hoping that there's not a big at bat that comes up for him but yeah, I think he's probably going to be the fourth outfielder at this point. I mean, they would have traded him by now if they could have. Um, I, I just don't think there's – I mean, there's no value there. Um, but, again, it's it's kind of the hand you're dealt, and, and I think he will – I mean, I don't know how you feel, but I would be stunned if he isn't on the big league roster in another six weeks. Yeah, I, I think maybe there's a chance if he was just, like, 
completely cooked in spring and it was so obvious they might just cut them. But I think that's very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. Just because of the commitment um, and the lack of other options. Like, honestly, as much as I don't think he has really much left at all, he's still probably better than like Abraham Almonte, who's, who, he's com- who's, who he's competing with. Because, you know, for instance, Mark Bowman's projection of the roster on opening day came out this weekend. And Mark only had four outfielders on the on the opening day roster because guys like Camargo and Kipnis can play the outfield. So you can carry four outfielders when you have two other guys who are accessibly infielders, but who could play the outfield. And there's nobody else. Like, Almonte's the only other guy on the 40-man that's an outfielder, and, you know, he's not great. So between the money and how much Schnitt loves him and the defensive pedigree, all that stuff, I think he's going to be on the team. In fact, honestly, the bigger question is whether he'll start, which is crazy. But if you read the beat writers and, you know, put your guard up on this as well. It's early and Bryce Sicker is famous for not saying anything, as we discussed earlier on the podcast. But they're not closing the door on Ender starting in center field. Now, I think that's insane. I think Pache, barring him just completely being awful in spring, has to start in center field. That, that's just my feeling. I think you agree with me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But... From Bowman to DOB, like, I'm going to read a quote from Bowman that he wrote. This is him writing, Pache will battle Inciarte for the center for the starting center field job. Like, that's 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 in print. People are writing that this is a battle of some sort. Now, yeah. I, I get that they need to say that right now because Ender <laughs> is a veteran. He's on the team. He's making real money. Pache has a small sample size. I get all that. Sure. But, man, um, the fact that it's closer to Ender starting than not, than not being on the team mm-hmm. is a little scary, I'll say. Yeah. As you said, I think it's it's Brian Snicker talking on you know the first week of spring as pitchers are just shaking out their legs and throwing their first bullpen sessions. I mean, I, I get it, right? Like he has to say they're not going to come out and say even if Pache was the number one player in the minor leagues and everybody was what was asking what time his Hall of Fame ceremony was. They, it's just kind of manager one hundred and one, right? Like you're going to promote a competition of some kind. And honestly, I, I mean, I don't want to say it's impossible that that Ender becomes a starter, but if Pache goes like two for fifty in the spring and just looks miserable, I could maybe see it happening. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't want it to happen, but I think, <laughs> based on Snickers' comments, I think they're just leaving the door open of, hey, Ender, this is not you know we're not giving this job to this kid who has all of twenty big league plate appearances on his belt. You know, go out and try to win the job, and who knows? Maybe Ender does really kick it into gear. And and again, it's, if it was that easy, everybody would do it. But I I think it was kind of what we could expect from Sticker being a veteran player manager like that. Um, but uh, I mean, what I don't know what you put it at. I would say it's like ninety five five that Pache is the center, center fielder on opening day. But I think that door is open just a smidge. Yeah, it's open as. Just- bigger than it should be. I would imagine just, just in practical terms, I think the likelihood is higher than it probably should be because of the players involved, uh, the manager involved, etc. Um, I will say this, and it's something Bowman mentioned as well. And I agree with him. It would be a lot easier to sell. If you were the Braves, Pache not being ready to start. If you could just slide Ronnie to center and have someone competent in right field. Um, but you don't have that guy like on your team. Like if they had, if they had Adam Duvall, like let's just use Adam Duvall as an example. If Pache had a rough spring and they were like, all right, Christian, we, need, we want you to play for a month in Gwinnett, but they had Adam Duvall on the roster, you could just say with a straight face, okay, Ronnie's our center fielder for a month at least. Sure. 
Adam Duvall is going to play right field every day, and we're going to roll with that. But when that guy doesn't exist, when, you're, when your fourth outfielder is Ender and you don't have anybody that can hit, like it's basically, it has to be, unless they do a move, and they, and they could make a move, they could make a move at some point, but if these are your options, it's quite obviously a one versus one with Pache and Ender. And honestly, this is the crazy thing, but even if you thought, you know, Pache wasn't ready offensively, and there's an argument for that. Like, I I'm not sure he'll be good offensively. We'll talk about that more when we, t- when we get into the lineup a couple weeks. But defensively, I mean, there's no world in which Ender is as good as Pache right now. Like, by anyone's yeah. estimation, and this is a podcast where we were very, very high for a long time on Ender's defense and how much value there was in center field defense like that. So this is not pound on Ender. He's just not that guy anymore. Hmm. No, he's not no. like he's better than Ozuna for sure. Like if you're up, if you're up four to two in the ninth and he's on your team, he'll be in left, and that's totally yeah. fine. He's better than Ozuna defensively, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, Pache is like leaps and bounds better, I think, defensively right now by all accounts. And honestly, when you're playing Ozuna in left, that matters. Like you need to have you need to have that defense in center field, and especially the range in center field. What Ender's sure. lost the most, it seems like, is his speed, and Pache covering up for Ozuna is not a small thing to me. No, I'm with you. Absolutely. And yeah, maybe, maybe the bat's not quite ready, but I feel like most top prospects could probably use another 300 plate appearances in the upper levels of the minors, but you're absolutely right. They signed Ozuna very likely knowing that, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the DH, but if Ozuna is in left field every day, which is what we are looking at at this point, um, your point about defense is absolutely right. Pache is leaps and bounds better than Ender historically. I mean, it's not exclusive to Ender. Historically, defensive peaks are like the first couple of years of your career. Because um, naturally, you, you lose a step as you get older. Um, so yes, even if Pache is not hitting the cover off the ball, I think his defense leaps and bounds makes up for any offensive shortcomings. And and uh, I, I would be, for all those reasons, again, I would be surprised if he's not the guy on, on opening day. But I guess that's why you have 30 spring training games and all these workouts. You, you give everybody a chance and see where it lands. Yep. And, uh, you know, we I, we will not spend as much time as we just did on those guys with everybody else on the bench. But those are the ones that are we kind of know are going to be around. And the next guy, I think, as well. If you, if you look at all the projections as we start turning the page here to Jason Kipnis, who we mentioned before. But he's on the team as of now. And if you read the projections of DOB and Bowman, it seems like he's going to be on the team. Unless he just is a complete flame out in spring. He is the more high pedigree guy. He is older. He'll be 34 in April. This is a former all-star, by the way. He's not that guy anymore, by any means. But he played second base for the most part. A little bit of outfield uh, in a couple seasons. The last four years, he has been very ordinary. This is about 1,600 plate appearances. So that's not a small sample size. He has an, eight, he has an 87, 87 WRC+. Plus. He has a slash line of about you know, 240, 308. 403 something like that so not a good player at this point but that kind of guy is a perfectly serviceable bench option if that retains last year he was actually a little bit better at the plate he struck he struck out a lot but um he was okay against righties which is helpful uh they don't have a lot they don't have a lot of left-handed bats right now um for example so i like this move that was a good addition that makes the bench better unless he just falls off the cliff but uh kipnis is again not the guy he used to be he's not an all-star anymore he used to be that guy but honestly he seems like a pretty good addition for what they had yeah no i'm with you i mean he's a he's a veteran player uh used to be very good he has not been that guy probably in five years at this point but 
very well regarded in the clubhouse as well, which I think is important with your bench players. You don't want players who aren't playing to be kind of griping about their playing time. He doesn't seem like the type. Um, if he's in that backup role as the primary left-handed uh, bench bat, I think that suits him well. Uh, he's not going to, you know, again, he's not going to hit the, he's not going to hit 300 for you, but I think he's a veteran hitter who's going to put up a good at bat. You're not going to worry about him getting jittery in a big spot in the eighth inning if you have to use him as a pinch hitter. Um, so yeah, I, again, I, I guess it's possible. You just never know when guys get into their mid and late thirties, they, at some point the wheels are going to fall off, but I think he is certainly of all the guys we've talked about. I think he is just as likely as them to make the roster uh, barring just some complete father time collapse. Yeah. Or injury or something like that. But okay. So if the Braves have a five man bench, which everyone's assuming because the roster is a lot smaller than it was last year, according to the rules right now, five man bench, you could figure at this moment, I would certainly project and you might disagree, but I will go with backup catcher Camargo Ender Kipnis. Yep. as the four, like, pseudo-locks. Mm-hmm. And then there's one more spot. So that could be someone outside the organization, but there's also a bunch of names that are on the 40-man that I will just at least read off right now. Uh, Pablo Sandoval, who's the most famous option. Ahiri, hmm. uh, I can't remember his name again. Uh, Adrianza. <laughs> uh, can't, we, we did this last time, I can't remember his name. Um, yeah. How to say it anyway, for his first name. My apologies to my, to that individual. Um, <laughs> that individual, there you go. Listen, Adrianza is actually a major league player for a long time, so I'm not trying to crap on him. It's just I, I need to find yep. the pronunciation, I forgot. Um, and then Jack Mayfield, Abraham Amante, Travis Demerit, and uh, the Hail Mary option would be Drew Waters, but I think that's not going to happen. I think he should and will be in AAA. So... Um, that's it in terms of like on the 40 man right now options. So I think at least according to what I've read so far, the most likely of these guys would be like one of the backup shortstop options, which is Adrianza or Mayfield, just to have a guy who could play shortstop. Um, this is telling to me, Mark Bowman, who we trust, uh, did not even mention the name of Pablo Sandoval in his projection today. He was not written hmm. in the piece. Like interesting. I did I did control F Pablo, control F Sandoval. <laughs> Those were not there. So yeah. I'm not sure if that was a uh, intentional oversight or just an oversight. Um Sandoval's around. Um I will say this, he's actually the exact same same age as me, so he's old. Uh he turned he turned <laughs> he turns 35 in August. We have not not the exact same birthday, but within 10 days in the same year, so I can tell you that he's old at this point. He's not been good for a long time. He was okay with the Giants, as we discussed when, when they signed him last time. Um, he was on the roster in the play, in the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That happened. But I think he's probably cooked. That's my guess. But he, he did slug over 500 in 2019, so that wasn't that yeah. long ago. The problem with Sandoval is that with no DH, he would just be a complete and utter uh, pinch hitter with no defensive utility whatsoever, which is yeah. okay, but it's tough, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he, he can, like, I mean, like any player – he could stand at first or third base. I mean, he, I guess he could probably, he did make what he play a game or two at third last year. I mean, it's not, ideal. I mean, he would never play third on this team. I mean, unless right. you had three injuries, he's not playing third yeah. base. <laughs> yeah. Cause you have Riley and you have Camargo. Um, you know, my, as we talk about all these names, the one thing you have to have some kind of a backup shortstop. Yeah. Now with Camargo, if we assume he's on it, who has played shortstop and even Ozzy who is versatile enough. He could yeah, probably maybe bring, bring it around. Ozzy, uh, my long, my, my long standing uh, stance that Ozzy <laughs> should be playing shortstop comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, I, I think, you know, if they didn't have Camargo and Ozzy on the roster, I think it would be Adrianza would be the odds on favorite of those names, just because you do need someone who can play shortstop, especially 
just because Dansby's a guy who has missed some time throughout his, his career. Um, but if I could be wrong, but in emergency duty for a couple innings, I would sure think the Braves could roll Camargo or Ozzy at short. Um, I mean, I don't even think it's a question. I, I know they would put Camargo at short for a couple innings. So because of that, maybe that works against him a little bit. Adrianza that is, and maybe it does open the door for a Pablo Sandoval type an Abraham Almonte type. If, if they want to carry a, a second backup outfielder, um, Travis Demerit, maybe, I mean, he was a guy who had some numbers in the minors, but he was really bad with the tigers in a pretty small sample. So who knows? I mean, again, there's no good option here, but yeah, I, I let me ask, who do you think of this group is the most likely to be on the roster on opening day? Um, or do you think it's someone from outside the org well, and none of the guys are on it? Yeah, this is the thing. So I'm going to read what Bowman wrote here, and, uh, and I'm going to steal it. Bowman says, this is, he was doing his positional breakdown. It says, shortstop, two players, Dansby Swanson, comma, TBD. And he, and he <laughs> yeah. used names for every other position. This is the one spot he did, that he didn't reference. And the last sentence is, but it seems more likely this spot will be filled by somebody who becomes available after other teams make their opening day roster decisions. End quote. So it seems like Bowman's not exactly thrilled with Mayfield and Adrianza. Um, I don't know. I, I guess if I had to pick one, it might be Sandoval. But I, I hate that. I, I mean, that's yeah. not. That's, there's no intel there. I, I think that that's what I would do if Sandoval does. If Sandoval seems like he has any juice left at all, if I'm if I'm making the decision, which I obviously am not, um, I am keeping Sandoval for what the reason you just said. They could get by with Camargo. They could get by with Ozzy with Kipnis, with Kipnis at second if they needed to do that for a little bit of time. Yeah. No injuries, everything else. If Sandoval looks okay, I would probably roll there. But that's honestly because they don't have anybody else to pinch hit. Like they need some pinch hitting options, and he's the only sure. one. I mean, Camargo's okay. Kipnis is Kipnis might be might be pretty good. But honestly, like big spot ninth inning. Do you love having to pinch hit with your Ooh. pinch hit with any of these guys? Like I'm not saying Sandoval's good either because he's probably not. But yeah. at least he might give you a little bit of a pop guy off the bench. Yeah. It's all bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, there's no, there's no great, there's no Adam Duvall. There's no, uh, like you said, I mean, even Nick Markakis again, I mean, maybe that happens. He would be the best option. I mean, it's funny. It's, again, this is, this is our podcast. We are not on the train usually, but quite honestly, if it's one at bat against a right-handed pitcher, like it's Markakis and it's not even close, quite honestly, yeah. especially know- if it's early in the year. Well, and, and we saw last year, I mean, in the in the postseason towards the end of the year, everyone was just throwing fastballs to Mark Oh, he looked he's, awful. He's, yeah. yeah, he's clearly lost a, a hitch in his swing. He could not hit anything up in the zone above 94. It was, you know, he was a minute late on it. But again, if if you just gave a perfect example, bases loaded, two outs, ninth inning, you have to pinch it for the pitcher spot because the National League is stupid. <laughs> who who do you, you know, who do you want do you do you want Adrianza or Jack Mayfield or do you want Nick Markakis? I know I would want Markakis. I mean, maybe if it's a guy throwing 102, you don't want him. But if uh, you know if, if it's not that scenario, I don't know. I, I I'm probably would lean that somebody else gets brought in at some point. But yeah, this group I would lean Sandoval as well. We alluded to this earlier, but just to put a a wrap on the Markakis brief discussion, the the problem would be that if you sign Markakis, you you might have him starting in right field opening day because of who the manager is. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not kidding. I mean you know you know I'm right about this. Yeah, like you, you are. I laugh because I, I can just see 
Uh, tell me you can't imagine this scenario of like Anthopolis of course talking I can. to Snit and telling him we're bringing him back. But listen to me. You can't listen start him. You can't look do me it. In the eyes. Yeah, look <laughs> me in the eyes and tell me that you are not going to start him 150 times. You're not even going to start him 50 times this year. You're going to use him off the bench. It would be incredible. I, I, That'd yeah. be incredible. I, I would pay. I would pay an exorbitant figure to have video of that conversation. <laughs> if they sign Marcakis, I would. I would love to be a fly on the wall because, I mean, I think we were. We've been pretty fair here. I, I really think that he would help them if sure. he was used correctly. He is better than Pablo Sandoval. He is better than Jack Mayfield. He is better than Adrianza. You would imagine, like, so. He may not, but he might be retired. I have no idea what's going on with Marquecas. Uh It's just he's obviously a name that we get asked about all the time. So I want to make sure we brought him up. It doesn't have to be him either. Like there's, uh, you mentioned you mentioned Matt Joyce earlier. That's a good example, not of a guy who we want now, but there there are going to be guys that come available in the next month sure. that might just fill that spot. And that that I think is what Bowman was getting getting to here is like, look, the smart math tells you that the Braves will at least sign someone to look at. It doesn't mean that they're they're actually going to keep that guy, but oftentimes you'll get a signing in February to a minor league contract of another guy in the next couple of weeks. Then they look at him, he's bad, they cut him. That happens all the time. Yeah. So there's a name I'm sure that's out there. We'll see. Um, also, we should mention Travis Demerit. I know we talked about him last on the last podcast, but Demerit is a guy that's back. He has minor league options. He is a talented guy. He struck out a lot last year. He's been bad in Major League Baseball, but he is talented. I think he has more talent, more upside than guys like Mayfield and Adrianza do. But who knows? That's just a it's a dart yeah. throw. But he, he's on the he's on the forty man, so he's 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 in play. Yeah, there are. I was looking at it earlier this week. I meant to put this on our notes, but there is some flexibility on the forty man roster right now. There are a handful of players who immediately are are expendable. Uh, Chad Sabatka. I mean, if the Braves had to remove Chad Sabatka from the 40-man roster, do you think that half the teams in the league would put a waiver claim in? I think Chad Sabatka is going to be on the open day roster, but uh, we'll get into that later. (laughs) (laughs) What a tease. What a natural. That's why you're the best in the business, Brad. A a tease ahead to the bullpen podcast. next next week. One week from now. There you go. But yes, I think there is, to hit on the point of the 40-man roster, there are some, like like Jack Mayfield is on the 40-man roster, or, or, I mean, any of these guys. If you cut him loose, a 30-year-old journeyman infielder, uh, you're not going to have to lose sleep at night saying, oh, man, did we just miss out on a 21-year-old can't-miss prospect for roster crunch? No. You, there's plenty of flexibility here. That is, yeah, that's not going to be a concern. I mean, even like Almonte, I think, is on the 40-man roster, and he's another guy who's like, honestly, I feel bad because Abraham Almonte is probably better as a bench option than I am, than we're making him sound like right now. But sure. because, because they have Ender, that's the role that he would be in. Like Almonte mm-hmm. is that's, that's, that's he's in that he would be Ender's role. If they somehow found a deal for Ender, then Almonte as your fourth outfielder, who's like a veteran can do a little bit of everything. Not a great player, but like is okay. Mm-hmm. Decent defender, decent ish hitter. Like he's actually fine. He's just 31 years old and Ender's already there. So that's why I'm not bringing up Almonte a lot because I'll be surprised if they carry both Ender and Almonte. That will surprise yeah. me because there's just they're, no they're, there's no reason to do that really. Yeah, very redundant. Yeah. I mean maybe I mean maybe you could stick Almonte. I mean who knows? I don't know Almonte's contract situation. Maybe if he was open for it, he'd be up for Gwinnett depth. But he's I mean, 31. I'm guessing he would try to go play even if it was on like a horrible team anywhere just to be in the league. Yeah, yeah that's what guys do. I mean, yeah. but honestly, Almonte is I think a better player than. 
all of the other guys, like the Adrianza, Mayfield, Demerit trio, Almonte's better than those guys. He's just not in a position where the Braves yeah. need him right now. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure I said that out loud because he is, he is on the 40-man, and he's uh, he's actually not too bad. He's just not uh, profiling what they need. So, and again, the, the Hail Mary option that I could come up with would be Waters, but that just doesn't make any sense unless uh, something happens to Pache. There's no reason to have Waters in the majors for a while. Uh, maybe in September, that would help you. I think the I think long term, if the Braves are where they want to be in the playoffs, and Waters has a great year in Gwinnett, you might see Waters when when rosters expand in September. That would not surprise me at all. Um, but until then, I would not do that. Yeah, he he has to play every single day in Gwinnett. Yep. I mean, I think he was someone who was. I've, I've said this before, but I think he's probably impacted more than than your average prospect by last year's complete lack of season. I know there were reports that he was hitting pretty well at the alternate site, but um, he he is someone who needs 400-plus plate appearances in the minor leagues this year to hopefully work out some kinks. And he has a very bright future, but there are some pretty big red flags with him right now, and you want him to work those out and do it at the minor league level instead of playing once every five days in the big leagues. Yeah, play play your best prospect that's not that's not in the major leagues. Basically, um, I know that yeah. he is still behind like guys like Pache and Anderson on prospect lists, but those guys are about to graduate in like a month. Uh, so Waters will be the top prospect of the of, of the remaining guys, and we'll see what happens there. And if he, you know, if he kills it, maybe later, maybe in August or whatever. He'll, if they need, if they need him, they'll bring him up, and that'll be the end of that. All right, Scott. Well, uh, we've done a pretty good job, I think, going all through the options here. Um, I think to wrap it up, there are four guys who seem obvious. Just as a reminder, those guys are Jason Kipnis, Ender Enciarte, Johan Camargo, and either backup catcher, Alex Jackson or, or William Contreras, one of those guys. That's that's four of the five. And again, you only need five on the bench right now because of the shortened roster when compared to last season. So that's where I land, and there's one spot open, we would think. And by the way, there could be injuries, could be trades, whatever, yeah. but this is the nature of doing a preview on February 20th. <laughs> Yeah, lots of moving parts. I mean, there's going to be literally dozens of transactions over the next couple of weeks around the league. I'm sure that there will be some kind of addition to the roster. As you said, someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to want to move on, whatever it is. Um, there's some some flexibility, and I would imagine this time in a month we'll have a little better picture of who's going to be on the team compared to – I mean, I don't want to say it's guesswork because I, I think you're right talking through this. I think there's four guys who are very likely in the mix – uh, I would say they have a much, much, much better chance than, the than not of being on them. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, um, you know, who knows if, if we think Jason Kipnis is going to be on the team, but if he goes over 30 in the spring, uh, I don't think there's, yeah, he I, might, I he might be cooked. Can... I mean, he's not guaranteed. Yeah. He's on a minor league, he's sure. on a minor league deal. There's only one of these guys on the whole, by the way, including Camargo, there's only one of these guys on a, on a guaranteed contract and his name is Ender Enciarte. So, yeah. Sure. I mean, if, if Alex Jackson can't make contact in the first month of the spring, I, I almost guarantee you they're going to bring in someone, whether it's Flowers, and they make a trade, if whatever it is. There, there's plenty of time to get the roster. And, and then again, in season, too. I mean, nothing says that your roster, I mean, if anything, usually it's pretty drastic how different a roster looks on April 1st compared to October 1st. Yep. Um, I think they're keeping their options open, and here's hoping they can improve the bench and the bullpen a little bit uh, over the next month and a half. And your bench is easy to fix. Of all things to fix, sure. your bench and your bullpen are the things that are easiest. And those mm-hmm. are the spots where the Braves are the worst right now. So hopefully yeah, that means yeah. that they can actually upgrade <laughs> and they'll be able to fix this whole thing. All right, Scott, that's enough of this. I think uh, please plug anything that you have going. I know we have the entire 
preview on the site. I don't know if you've been writing at all because I have not been, and I should know that if you've been writing or not. But if you have not <laughs> been, that's fine. Please share your Twitter handle and all that fun stuff. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned earlier, we have a bunch of season preview content. So I, I have tra- a piece on Travis Darno, who was just so so good last year. A silver Slugger. I don't think anyone this time a year ago had Travis Darno winning a Silver Slugger award. No, nope. uh, but looking at his numbers, so that I think that's coming out maybe uh, Monday. And then I also uh, had the very difficult task of writing about Freddie Freeman in 2021 MVP uh, winner Freddie Freeman. Um, so that's coming, and, and a couple others in the works. So I think those are probably the following week. So lots of good stuff on the uh, Twitter machine, Scott Coleman 55. And, uh, yeah, it was a good one tonight, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, thanks for doing this as always. Please subscribe to the podcast, everybody. Please leave ratings and five-star reviews and all of that stuff. Tell your friends, and we'll see you all next time.